Welcome to the Quarantine Spook Show. I'm Kyle Carezzi. I had a nightmare last night that I was the mayor of Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. The dream took place on the night of the election where I just won the mayor's seat. And I was excited about it at first. I brought it up to a couple of strangers. And one of them said, uh, do you really want to do that? And he talked about all the work that it entailed. And I was like, no, it actually sounds like it sucks, actually. So the dream eventually cut to me and my partner, Zelos. We're walking through a dim aquarium where only the tanks of the fish tanks were lit up. And I was saying, hey, I don't think I really want to be the mayor of Harrisburg. And then he looked at me and he said, after all the work you put into the campaign, you're just going to throw it all away? And I was like, yes, probably. It sounds like it really sucks. And I started to rationalize it, thinking, oh, well, you know, being the mayor of Harrisburg probably isn't that bad, you know, I can probably do some good somewhere in some way. And it was rationalization that really terrified me, my acceptance of being mayor of, Harris mayor of Harrisburg. And I'm not knocking Harrisburg or the sitting mayor of Harrisburg, but the prospect of being mayor of that town struck fear into my heart. I bring this up because that's the bar that I'm setting for these spooks. And all these stories I'll tell will be improvised. I've never, if you want to submit a title for the show, you can email uh, quarantinespookshow at gmail.com. The first card I draw will be the title of the episode... The second card will be the title of the first story. Alright, so the title of this show is called... All's Fair in Tops and Bottoms. And the first story is called Sage Advice. It felt almost impossible to bring up. But every time I talked about uh, sexual play with Joshua, he'd always brush it off and wouldn't listen. 
You see, in our relationship, I was always the top and he was the bottom. And I kept trying to communicate that, you know, hey, maybe I want to be the bottom once in a while. Maybe we can, like, switch it up sometimes, you know? But Joshua wouldn't have it. He would just be all like, no, no, it's, it's better just to do it my way. And we'd usually end there. I didn't like this arrangement. Not that I didn't mind being a top every now and then. But again, it was nice to switch it up, to keep the romance alive, to have a an open communication about our sex lives. But it was something Joshua just wasn't receptive to. So I spent uh, one night just probing the internet, uh, at first for articles about how to get rid of possums, you know, because my art had a shitload of them. But then I was looking for, you know, uh, articles about sex and relationship communication. I really needed some sage advice. So in desperation, I just, you know, typed in that, typed that in in my uh, Bing search bar, you know, sage advice about sex and open communication and relationships. And then, lo and behold, I, in the first hit, it was uh, an ad for a sage advice column that was posted every week. So when I saw it, I thought, oh, this might be the exact thing I'm looking for. So I go on the site, and uh, the uh, website is curated by some, a self-proclaimed sexpert named Cassandra. Her articles run a whole gamut of different relationship type dynamics often in the queer realm, which is what I needed to learn from. And some of the articles were okay. Some of them kind of came off like something you'd see in Cosmo, you know? Just a lot of just, like, basic relationship things that, you know, 101 stuff that a lot of people you would, you would think would know. But I needed deeper answers. And I felt unable to talk to Joshua about it. So probing the website a little bit more, I saw that uh, Cassandra the Sexpert offered memberships. It was only for $5.98 a month or something like that. It was just like, yeah, if you subscribe, you'll get uh, the deep cuts of articles, you know. And it'll provide all the answers you need. And those were sounded like the kind of answers that I needed. So I paid for the subscription and had access to the deep, deep cuts of her website and her articles. And the ones that were only accessible to members were a lot more intricate and often had uh, people sending in questions and she would answer them and that would kind of be the structure of all of her articles and whatnot. So they really spoke to specific relationship uh, dynamics and situations. 
but I didn't see anything that quite, uh, quite what I needed to see to help maneuver through my relationship. And she also sold various medicines on her website, you know. It kind of came off of, like, came off as goop-esque snake oil type of products, you know. Uh, gemstone rubs, things like that. Mysterious lotion you put on your skin and it just invigorates your soul or whatever. And I'm just like, well, how do you measure that through a product, you know? But I even purchased some of these things to try them out. I tried the jade rub, the rolling rub on my face, and I just rubbed it on my face, and I was just like, well, I guess that feels good. I don't know what it's doing for my soul, but I guess it's pretty cool. I don't know, it does anything to my pores or whatever, but it feels good on my face. I even tried some of the liquidy lotions that the article, uh, some articles suggested. I rubbed it on my skin, and I was just like, oh, it kind of burns a little bit. Some of them also were proclaimed to keep COVID away. And I was just like, well, I don't know if that's true, but, you know, I like feeling the burn, you know. So eventually it got to the point where I was invested in the community of this Sage Advice website. I've talked to other people. Some things about relationships, and some things about products. But none of it really quite satiated me in the way that I needed. So I decided to just direct my attention to the source. I emailed Cassandra herself. And it was just a simple email. It was just like, hey, Cassandra, I've been a long-time member of your website, which at that point was true, and I was still dating Joshua. The email went on, but, uh, you know, I need some, something more specific, you know. I have one on the advice columns, I've read your articles, I've purchased some of your products. But I really need something as, like, a catch-all for all of my relationship needs. So then, uh, a couple weeks go by. And then I get an email back while Joshua is just playing Xbox in the other room. And it's from Cassandra. And she just said, yeah, well, I think I might have what you need. But it's a very specific deep cut if you're ready for it. And I said, yes, I'm ready for anything. And she's like, oh, that's great. It's just a... Uh, one-time payment of $50, and I'll send it right to your house. And I was like, huh, $50. And I was like, okay, fuck it, I'll try it, you know. Gotta put the stimulus check to something. So I placed the order, and eventually the package arrives on my doorstep. I sanitize it, and then I open it. It's just a, a large layer of bubble wrap that's in there. And it's just, I pull it out. And it's actually one long thing of bubble wrap. And the box is empty, 
except for the bubble wrap. So I'm just kind of stuck with this bubble wrap, and I was just like, no, it's got to be a mistake. Maybe she forgot to send send it or something, or like one of her people forgot to package it or something. Then I email her again, just like, hey, Cassandra, I think you screwed up my order. Uh, I paid 50 bucks for a mysterious product. Um, you know, what is it? And I haven't heard back from her for like another week or two after that. then she eventually responds and she's just like no yeah it's it's in there and that's all what the email said so I reply back and I'm just like well what is it and then she just says simply it's air and you know I email and I say it's air and then in a quick response she said yes it's air it's air that'll revitalize you I'm sure you've heard of the breathologists or the breathabatarians that you've heard from. Oxygenators. I don't know what they're called these days. I suppose they have different names, or it's one specific name that I can't recall right now. But yes, it is special air. And then I respond back. Well, it's just like, well, it's just, your air is not working because I'm not really feeling anything or know anything at all. And then she replies back and says, It's not in the box. It's in the bubbles. Just like the bubbles. And I think, oh, the bubble wrap. So I dig in through the trash and... Yeah, it's a whole bubble wrap. It's just like a... And when I looked at it, it didn't seem like any of the bubbles were popped or anything. So then I pop one, and I'm just like, okay. I pop a couple more, and I'm just like, oh, this is this is pretty cool. And a few more, and a few more. And then I feel very giddy with delight, and I'm just like, oh, well, it's been a while since I've popped bubble wrap, you know? So this is, this is pretty awesome. But then eventually I get through the whole sheet, which took about, you know, 20 minutes, because it's a very long sheet. But then what I notice is that the side of the bubble wrap that I started on were they were all unpopped. And I'm just like, no, how can that be? After a closer examination of the whole sheet, the whole sheet seems like it's unpopped. So I just think, wait, wait, this can't be right. And then I pop another one. And I get a whiff of it, and there's... It has a peculiar scent that I can't really describe. I guess it kind of smells like copper a little bit. And it doesn't really... The scent isn't very pleasurable, but it makes me feel good when I inhale it. So I'm just like, oh, okay. I felt that giddiness again. So eventually I'm just like popping all the bubbles. Once again, I'm just like, huh. It's a forever popping bubble wrap. 
with little bursts of air that make you feel good. Okay, this is something. This is something. And, you know, I pop the cheetah bubble wrap just all throughout the night, just over and over. I stay up till, like, 3 a.m. just popping it, and I fall asleep. And then I wake up and go to work and then come back and then pop more bubble wrap. And I actually got to the point where I just started to bring it to work also. I was popping it there. I would pop it at every opportunity I could. And sometimes I would just like manically d giggle. And it seemed like over time, you know, when the effect of popping the bubble wrap would be less. So that just means I had to pop it more. So then, you know, one night, it's me and Joshua in bed together, you know, and he's just watching like a superhero movie clip on his tablet, and I'm just popping bubble wrap. And he, kinda, he just kind of looks over and he says, oh, you've really been into popping bubble wrap. And I'm just like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And he says, well, don't you kind of want to take a break from it a little bit? And I say, no, no, why? And he says, well, the, you know, it's kind of, a fume's kind of coming off of it, and it's kind of making me dizzy, you know? And I just said, oh, Joshua, you wouldn't understand. And he said, you, I wouldn't understand what? And I just said, relationships, you know, you'd never want to talk about it at all. So, you know, it's gotten to the point where it's so stale that I just have to pop bubble wrap to feel anything, you know? And he says, oh, well, I'm open to talking about it and stuff. And I say, yeah, we've always wanted to, like, talk about it, you know? I've always wanted to, you know, and you'd never be into it or whatever. So now I'm just here popping bubble wrap and I'm perfectly happy without you. And then Joshua just said, you don't mean that, do you? I said, yes, yes I do. So, you know, the next morning, I see him just start to pack his things and whatnot. And I just say, oh, where, where do you, what are you doing? And he just said, I'm leaving, you know? You know, you obviously don't want me around, you know? And I'm just like, oh, well, okay. And then Joshua's just like, that's it, you're not gonna try to persuade me otherwise? And I was just like, no, I guess not. And he was just like, all right, well, see ya. And he gets a U-Haul and then packs his stuff. And he drives off and that's the last time I ever see him. And I'm just like, oh, well, I don't, I guess that kind of worked itself out. And I thought about it some more, and I was just like, hey, maybe the bubble wrap was a way of just realizing that I didn't need Joshua. And it wasn't just a impairment of the relationship, but it was just something that I had to cut out entirely. I tried to philosophize it some more, and I started to feel a little bit antsy. start to break out at a rash a little bit and I scratch at it. I get really fidgety, you know, twitchy. 
my throat gets tight and I'm just like, oh, I could really go for some bubble wrap. So I go and I just pop some more. I spend the whole night doing it, then the whole week doing it, just non-stop pump pumping the bubble wrap. Eventually, gets to the point where I don't show up for work and they let me go. But I think that's okay, you know. All I need is the bubble wrap, really. I start losing a little bit of weight. I get an eviction notice on my door. But I'm just like, ah, as long as I got this bubble wrap. I ignore all my calls from my friends and family, just obsessed with the bubble wrap. out and I wake up with all these people in my room and then I'm strapped into my bed and I'm just like hey hey what's going on and I, there's this guy who seems like he's in like a repo man uniform with a needle in my arm drawing my blood and I'm just like whoa whoa hey corner of the room I see Cassandra petting a fluffy cat she's saying oh yeah that's good make sure you're steady about it and I'm just like hey wait uh see your Cassandra what are, you, what are you doing here and she's just like oh yeah well you know we're just here for your blood, you know, part of the membership deal. And I was just like, what membership deal? What are you talking about? And she said, well, you know, when you become a member of my website, you know, we're subject to certain entitlements. And I started freaking out. I'm just like, what do you mean? What do you need? What do you mean? And she said, well, you know, that bubble wrap you're obsessed with? What do you think it's made out of? I'm just like, uh, I don't know, I don't know. And Cassandra said, well, I guess I'll tell you. You see, through pure volunteership, you know, our members of Sage Advice are willing to donate parts of their body to make the best products that we can. In this case, we use blood for the bubble wrap. We line the plastic with it in a transfusion kind of procedure and that's why that's why they can pop and then reseal themselves and the air you're smelling is actually the human scent you see ever since I early on when I started writing sage advice I knew that there was no true replacement for human companionship so I designed products to kind of elicit that illusion through actual pieces of the body. And we use blood to manufacture the bubble wrap. So you can pop it as long as you want and still feel like someone loves you. And I start freaking out in the bed and I'm just like, let me out of here. This is bullshit. This is bullshit. She was like, oh, calm down, calm down. The procedure's almost finished. So eventually after taking 
two to four pints of my blood. I wasn't counting. Some of the, the, the people dressed in Repo Man uniforms pack up the blood-drawing stuff, the gear, and then they head out. Cassandra starts to follow them out. And uh, one of the Repo Men uh, unstrapped me from the bed. And I feel too weak to really do anything about it, to move around. I just feel my wrists feel sore. Cassandra turns to me, and then she says, Ah, yes. We can use this blood for our newest member, Joshua. I'm sure he'll love your scent. And then she tosses my sheet of bubble wrap on top of me, and everyone leaves. So I sit there, probably with not enough blood to live. Just grab the bubble wrap and just pop the bubbles one by one. This next story is called Cubed. She was just like, no, I don't want any. Cubed pork? Where did you even get that? And then Jeff said, oh, it's, uh, you know, I just got it from uh, Kroger, you know. And then Jane said, uh, I don't need anything from Kroger. After all the fucked up shit that they do, you know. Not just the way they treated their staff members during COVID. But also all the schemes and scandals about selling asparagus to make people's teeth fall out and having that in line with uh, an underground network of dentists, you know, stealing their teeth and then selling it to a gin company as a subsidiary subsidiary, tra subsidiary transaction. And then Jane said, no, I never eat anything from Kroger. And then Jeff said, oh, well, you know, I thought it'd be, you know, appropriate, you know, we are, like, staying after school, doing this math homework, you know, studying for our AP calculus tests, you know. And look, there's a lot of uh, numbers that are cubed on the chalkboard. So I thought, hey, why not have cubed fork? 
Jane said, oh, Jeff, you're just full of layers, aren't you? And then Jeff was all like, yeah, you know it, babe. And then they give each other a little smooch as a lovey-dovey math smooch or whatever. So they continue doing uh, calculus problems on the board. Some logarithms and derivative, derivative functions and all of that. Talking about the pandemic that happened uh, in the past. The storyteller couldn't tell you how far in the past because the storyteller doesn't know how long the pa pandemic is going to last. But it takes place somewhere in the near future, I assure you. you know and Jeff and Jane are both supplementing their work with doodles you know and Jeff says hey you know pictures are like a thousand words and then Jane's like well these aren't words this is math if you want my opinion I think math is a far more complex and empirical language than just simple English or whatever Whatever. So they're writing on the chalkboard, you know, the scratches on it, just filling up the silence. The birds are chirping outside because it's not quite the end of the world. And then Jeff turns to Jane. And he just says, but seriously, though, what do you want to do after high school? And then Jane said, oh, besides dating you forever? And Jeff said, well, yeah, besides that. And Jane said, well, I don't know. Something that has to do with math. I mean, not necessarily doing, like, theoretical math, you know. I don't know, something science-y, maybe working on a, like a military base or something. And Jeff is just like, a military base? And Jane was just like, yeah, well, I mean, you know, it's just a, you know, government work is mainly what's available for scientists and mathematicians in this day and age. Jeff said, well, yeah, maybe you can, I'm sure you can do that in another country that's less fucked up than the U.S., you know? You're totally, you'd totally be qualified. You'd be the most badass scientist slash, slash mathematician around. And Jane said, yeah, well, I'd like to think so. But anyway, despite the state of things, what do you think? What are you going to do after high school? And Jeff just said, I don't know, I guess... I'll just keep being badass or whatever. And then Jane said, but no, seriously. And then Jeff said, well, you know, I don't want to have any, like, strict plans after high school, you know.
But, you know, I do want to, like, you know, just let it roll. I hope it has something to do with math. Or cubing. And then he just shoves a fistful of, like, pork cubes in his mouth. Or ham cubes, I guess. And she's just like, oh, you're gross. And Jeff is like, yeah, but you love it, though. And then Jane is just like, yeah, I do. And then they share, like, a ham, uh, like a very hammy smooch in celebration of their love. So ten years pass. Jane is a teacher in France. The state of the world definitely frightens her in a lot of ways. But she's thankful that she lives somewhere where higher education is a priority and working for an institution where the power of intellect uh, is perhaps used to solve society's problem. How futile or not that'll be, she has yet to determine. So on her break, she just kind of goes on the internet and just like skims around, jumps around. she thinks about it and she's just like huh you know who I haven't talked to in 10 years Jeff we broke up towards the end of high school and I don't really know how he's doing maybe I'll give him a call or message him or something So she sends a message online, and it's just a simple, just like, hey, Jeff, you don't have to respond right away or whatever. I know you're still in the States, and things are tumultuous there, uh, as they have always been since we were in high school, but, you know, I hope you're doing okay and stuff. She gets a response very quickly, you know. And Jeff is just like, oh, Jane, great to hear you. You should come visit. And then Jane's just like, she responds, and she's like, yeah, well, maybe, yeah, maybe we can, like, talk online for a bit, catch up a bit. And then Jeff responds again, and he says... I insist that you visit me in the United States. I can give you a sh I can give you a tour of where I work. And then Jane responds, uh, "I think I don't think this is the best time uh, to visit the United States for reasons this storyteller can't quite discern. But given how..." things are going in 10 or 15 years the states are not going to be the most ideal visiting spot 
And then Jeff is just like, no, no, it's fine, you know, just come by, it'll be safe and whatever. And Jane says, okay, sure. And her institution, you know, being understanding that everyone works best under their own schedule, she manages to take a fair amount of vacation time, enough to travel internationally. So she goes to the United States, uh, where Jeff works. He works at a meatpacking plant in Utah. And she doesn't have any family in the United States anymore. So, you know, she just kind of goes to just see Jeff. So she lands at a Salt Lake City airport. And is greeted by Jeff. You know, he has his little car and everything. And she's like, oh, Jane. And Jane's just like, oh, hey, Jeff. And Jeff's like, ah, yeah, how's so, yeah, are you, so you're here like a professor or whatever? And she's like, well, I'm a teacher, you know, it's kind of like a, you know, similar to like the Philly Free School, it's just like the kind of school that kind of, it's not like the public school system, it just kind of, you know, you pack people in different ages uh, in the same space so people can learn from each other and mentor each other, more akin to how people are taught in, you know, in real life, rather than some, you know, remedial uh, education system where no one learns anything and Jeff says ha oh, that's cool so on the drive they still talk about like education and whatnot and Jane's just like yeah I mean when you think about it if you were taught as a kid that George Washington cut down a cherry tree and knowing full well that that never happened how beneficial could your education could have been and Jeff is just like, ah, yeah, so true, so true. And then Jane's just like, uh, I gotta stop by my hotel first. I'd rather drop my stuff off and then we can hang out. And Jeff said, yeah, no, no, yeah, no, that's fine. But it's just, uh, we can do that real quick. But I really want to just show you my workplace, you know. We've got a lot of exciting projects going on, you know. And I really just want to, like, you know, show you some cool stuff about the work that I do. She's like, okay, okay. So they stop by the hotel and they hang out in Jane's room and they have a couple drinks. And Jeff becomes more relaxed during the exchange. And then Jane's just like, oh, I guess the day got away from us catching up and stuff. Uh, but we can go to your work, you know, maybe tomorrow or something. And Jeff's like, oh, no, yeah, no, no, yeah, that's cool, that's cool. Yeah, I'll, I'll, um, you know, my, uh, my place is pretty far away, so how about I just uh, crash on your couch or whatever uh, just for the night, and then we can just go to, to my work just, like, right in the morning. And Jane's just like, uh, okay. And Jeff's just like, ah, yeah, yeah, great, great. So he goes, and he crashes on the couch. And Jane's kind of like, ah, oh, you know, Jeff's always been kind of a wild card and that's kind of what made me swooned about him but he's been extra weird in this, in this case
So then by the time when it's dawn, you know, Jeff wakes up Jane, and he's just like, alright, let's go to the, let's go to the place. And Jane's just like, no, I'm still sleeping. And Jeff's just like, oh, sorry, I'm always just like on an early bird schedule, you know, I like to wake up at the crack of dawn, greet the day, and all that, you know, I like to be around in the sunlight, because I don't like being up at night, not for too long. And Jane's just like, alright, well, I just, let's get, like, coffee or something. And then Jeff's like, yeah, okay, okay, we gotta, yeah, let's do that. So they go get coffee near the hotel. It's at a shop that neither of them have been to before. And the coffee's okay, you know. The barista kind of screwed up the, uh, the filming process. But in the, state, in the state that the country is in, you know, the filming process in a latte is not the biggest priority. So when they finish their coffee and they start to, uh, Jeff starts driving Jane to his work. And then they finally arrive, you know, at the uh, Kroger meat pa meat packing plant, the Kroger with a C or with a K, the Kroger meat packing plant. And Jane's just like, "Oh, you work for a Kroger." And Jeff's like, "Yeah, isn't it great?" And Jane's just like, "Well, you know." I mean, when we dated, you know, I really talked a lot of shit about Kroger, and they're still a shit company from what I know. And Jeff's like, uh, you, you know, it's up for debate, but I have a good time there, you know, let me show you around. So they go and go around, and Jeff's giving a tour, you know, of the slaughterhouse, and then, you know, the, uh, the cow fenced areas and all that. The pigs and stuff. And how the meat is processed, you know. It's a very big imperial building, even for slaughterhouse and mass food market standards. And Jane said, oh, so you said you were doing some projects that you're excited about. And Jeff was like, yeah, yeah, I'd say so. I mean, you know, it's kind of just... You know, right after high school, I just kind of went with, like, the first job that, you know, that would hire me, which ended up being a Kroger supermarket. And then, you know, sometimes they, like, hire with, from within, you know. So eventually I built up the meatpacking plant, and I'm practically the guy in charge here, you know. I'm the assistant supervisor of all the meat packaging and processing. And Jane's just like, okay, that's, that's pretty cool, though. Sure. And then Jeff's just like, all right, so let me show you what we got going on. And they go into a boardroom. It's on the top floor. It's much more shinier and immaculate than other parts of the slaughterhouse and the processing plant. And then Jeff was just like, oh, I'm doing a thing that we always did in high school. Jane, in her head, she just thought sex, but then she actually asked, like, oh, what? And Jeff was just, like, cubing, and Jane said, cubing, and then Jeff said, yeah, yeah, just fucking cubing, you know? I cube a lot of ham, a lot of pork, a lot of chicken. I am the cube master here, and it's all thanks to all the calculus that we took in high school, and the arithmetic, algebra, all the math things. I put that all to good use, and finding ways to pack our meat accordingly, 
you know, in cube form, little packages. And then Jane said, okay, that's, uh, that's, that's cool. That's cool, Jeff. And Jeff just like, yeah, yeah, let me, uh, let me show you the processing plan. They go on a catwalk, seeing all the plant, you know. They see the cubing process of the meat, you know. They start off by putting the animal carcasses, just putting it into like a big grinder stew thing. And then the uh, little blobs of meat get cut up and cooked into cubes. And then those cubes are packaged and then sold to just randos at supermarkets, you know? And as, as Jeff is explaining all of this, you know, Jane's just like, okay, well, yeah, it's really cool. You know, as long as you're happy, then I'm happy for you. And then Jeff's just like, well, I'm not, I'm not that happy, Jane, to be honest. And Jane's just like, oh, shocker. And then Jeff's just like, yeah, no, yeah, I mean, like, you know, in high school, I loved doing cube-based math, and I love eating cube-based food, but I've done both of those things so much that it's just not, it's just not the same anymore, you know? And Jane's just like, oh, yeah, I get that, you know? Usually if I'm teaching a curriculum for a while, I always like to change it up, you know. I like to have my curriculum, you know, to grow with me as a person. As I educate the na next uh, batch of youngsters and what have you. And then Jeff's just like, yeah, I totally agree. And then in a quick moment, Jeff shoves Jane off the catwalk. And she falls into the giant grinder with all the Blorbus meat and carcasses being processed. And she's just like, oh, what the fuck are you doing? She shouts. She tries to swim in the carcasses being deposited and does her best to try to stay on top of the on top of the body of grind of carcasses as if she's swimming, but it's just in like freshly slaughtered meat. And Jeff's just like, well, you know, it's like I said, you know, I love cubing, but I've got, gone grown tired of all like the mathematic element of it and like the meat processing element of it. So I want to like you know, I just want to have like processed cubed meat that I can cherish. And then when you t messaged me, I was like, oh, who better than you know my ex from high school? Oh, so delicious. And then James was like, Jeff, this is fucked up. You know, this is crazy. And Jeff's just like, no, no, I got the consent from Kroger, you know, we're allowed to have human carcasses in our meat, you know, so it's just, it's okay, I won't get fired for this. And Jane was just like, no, that's not what I meant, I used to love you before. And Jeff was just like, yes, and I still love you. And now, once you're grinded up into cubed meat, we can be together once again. And Jane tried as hard as she could to try to find her way out of the piling carcasses on top of her. 
she looked up at the catwalk and then saw Jeff just standing on top of the catwalk and she was sinking to the bottom of the meat grinder. And you know, she thought back to those equations of all those cubed numbers. And it didn't feel good that she herself would also be cubed. Alright, this next story is called The Fate of Olive Garden and the People Who Go There. I was pretty new to kink and the kink community. But when I joined that meetup about kink and about the basics of mediating the relationships of tops and bottoms, I didn't know why the location was set in an Olive Garden. It made no sense for it to be in an Olive Garden. I didn't know anyone who went there. By my judgment, you know, it seems like they just 3D print all their food from lard or something. But I wanted to learn the world of kink. I wanted to meet prospective partners. And for once, I wanted to feel a sense of community. That's not too much to ask, is it? So I arrived at the Olive Garden, which also an odd location, just because social distancing was still in effect. And Olive Garden had limited seating. But you know what? I wanted to get sexy. And among a pandemic, I was willing to go through anything to do that. And I didn't really know what to expect. You know, maybe some philosophical di discourse on the many sexual dynamics that exist between people who are cis, trans, queer, 
gay, bisexual, anything. I was hoping for some form of enlightenment. And it didn't make sense for it to happen at, a olive, at an olive garden. But I went with an empty stomach. Maybe I'll get some breadsticks or whatever. I heard they had good tiramisu or whatever. So I go to the Olive Garden and, you know, I walk in. There's a hostess there and she's just like, oh, how may I help you with uh, whatever? That's what she said specifically. She probably didn't really care much about working in Olive Garden during a pandemic, but who am I to say? And I was just like, yeah, hi, um, uh, I didn't know what to say at first. And I was just like, oh, um, uh, is there like a meetup here? And she's just like, oh, you're with the, uh, the kink meetup. And I was just like, yes, I am. And she was just like, oh, we're not taking any, like, uh, not a lot of tables today. We're actually have a, we have a special reservation space for the kink, uh, meetup. And I was like, okay, cool, great, yeah. Sign me up. And she was just like, do you want anything to drink? Do you want any booze? And I was just like, um, and then she went on to say, it's just like, well, he just leave the whole bottle at the table if you really feel into that. And I was like, uh, no. Well, glass of wine. Cheapest wine you have. And I thought, well, it's Olive Garden, you know. Might as well be in on the joke. So the hostess gave me some wine and then led me to a, a back room that seemed very immaculate for mass gatherings and birthday parties and all of that. There's just two round tables and the seats were spread six feet apart. And they were already having a conversation, you know, about the dynamics of tops and bottoms, you know, and how important it is to, you know, to talk about that stuff at the front end of a relationship. One person recalled a couple that they knew that didn't talk about that stuff, and they ended up both being harvested by a Sage Advice website. So no one wanted that, so it was important to, you know, be open and relationships and stuff. And I started to sat there just kind of just like to get in on the conversation. You know, I didn't know what to say at first, you know, being new to kink and all that. And then someone just like speaks to me and they're just like, hi. And I'm just like, oh, hello. And then they were just like, oh, you're new to the to the, to the kink meetup then. And I was just like, oh, yes, yes. And then he was just like, oh, well, what do you like? And I was just like, um, not really knowing how to answer that question, being new to kink and all. I just kind of tried to give a witty response of just like, well, I like honesty. And I got like some chuckles at the table and just like, ah, oh, nice. Well, we'll fit in right here, you know. So everyone there is just like talking about their own kinks, you know, impact play and all that. Bondage, you know, some of the basics. Some things a bit uh, deeper and all that. And I was just really fascinated to hear all this stuff. I'm just like, ah, oh, finally some like insights to, you know, just to 
for the stuff so I can do it on my own and whatnot. Maybe I'll meet someone cool here, I don't know. And then someone at the table said, yeah, all those kinks are good. But not, like, the ultimate kink. And then everyone said in unison, Italy. And I was just like, what? And, like, someone next to me said, yeah, we just love Italy and we love eating. I mean, we, we're all pretty well-rounded about kinks here at this table. But the one that we all share is just, like, we love Italy and we love stuffing our faces. And I was like, okay, well, that's cool, but... You know, this isn't, like, real Italian food. You know that, right? And then there's just dead silence among the table. They're all staring at me, and I'm just like, what did I do? What did I say? And then someone at the table said, you get a pass. You're only permitted to say that once. And only one time. And then they go back to chatting as if they never confronted me in that way. And I was just like, oh, fuck, this is creepy. I think I need a drink or something or whatever. So I just kind of sneak out to the bar, which is very immaculate, you know, for what kind of restaurant it is, you know. A lot of very drinks and gins and whiskeys and brandies, a variety of wine, some of it good wine, just a whole variety of ways to get drunk. And then the bartender, who seemed pretty chill, she was just like, oh, what can I get you? And I was just like, uh, get me something for someone who just arrived at a king party at Olive Garden, but they end up kind of being a little bit culty and a bit too obsessed with Olive Garden. And she was just like, ah, that's my favorite cocktail. Hold on. So she whips something up, you know, really quick, and then gives it to me. <clears throat> so I have a sip of it, and I was just like, ah, oh, fuck, this is really good. And she was just like, yeah, I worked at a, I worked at a Hops, Schnapps, and Bops before I got here. And we have a very high standard of cocktails. So I brought that here, you know, but everyone just kind of wants the same cheap wine or whatever. And I'm just like, yeah, yeah, I guess so. So we get to chatting. We actually have some things in common, you know. Start off with the basic things. of Just like, oh, yeah, the, pan the pandemic is really fucked in the country, you know. And Olive Garden's pretty ridiculous for people who take it seriously. And then we're just like, you know, chatting about other things, you know, music, you know, movies, you know, you know, walks of life that we've walked down, you know, and it turns out we actually have a fair amount in common, it was really exciting. And we started talking about kinks and stuff. And she was just like, yeah, yeah, we can... I'd love to talk some of that, talk, talk about some of that stuff. Yeah. And then I was just like, oh, well, I'm at a kink meetup right now, so, I don't know, maybe you can join the table, we can kind of talk about it more in detail. And she's like, oh, you're part of the kink meetup? 
And I was just like, well, yeah, you know, just wanted to meet some new people in the kink community or whatever. And she was just like, alright, well, I'll tell you what, I'll make a deal with you. I'll give you my number, and we can talk about kink as much as you want, maybe try some stuff out for ourselves, but under the condition that you definitely leave that meetup before their meals arrive. And I was just like, oh, why? And the bartender just gave me a very solemn look and said, they take Olive Garden way too seriously. That's really all I have to say about it. I'm just like, oh, geez, uh, okay. Yeah, yeah, so give your, yeah, I'll, that sounds like a good deal to me, yeah. So she takes a, a bar napkin and writes her number on it, which is a gesture that I, I always found very attractive. And then she hands it to me and I put it in my pocket. I fold it so the ink doesn't smudge. And she's just like, alright, so get out of here, hurry. And I'm just like, okay, cool, cool, yeah, I will. So I head to the exit, and I'm just like, oh shit, I left my coat on my chair in the back room at the Olive Garden, damn it. So I end up going to the back room. And then I pick up my coat, and I get some stares from the group. And they're just like, oh, you're leaving already? And I'm just like, yeah, yeah, I'm uh, just pretty tired, you know. And, you know, I had a just family emergency and all that, you know, I just really gotta get going. And as I was saying this, several indifferent waiters come in with plates upon plates of Olive Garden course selections, what I perceived as lard processed through a 3D printer to look like Italian food. And then someone in the meetup just pats me on the back and is like, no, sit down, we're about to eat. And then he forces me into my chair and I'm just like, oh, I really, really shouldn't, you know. stay, you know. We know you didn't order anything, so we got some food for you. We got you the house salad, the chicken parmesan, uh, chocolate ice cream, a barrel of wine, um, stuffed shells, you know, soup. And I was just like, oh, that sounds like several meals, actually. These plates are fucking huge. And they're just like, yeah, right. So eventually all the waiters put their courses down on the table and on some standing trays. And then they all, all the waiters leave the room and then they lock the doors. And I'm just like, why would they lock the doors? back to the table and I see why everyone starts eating the Olive Garden at a ferocious rate. They're not breathing as they eat, really just garbling it up piece by piece. They eat the breadsticks, pasta, they don't use utensils, they just use their hands. 
Some of them just like take the plates and then just like empty the course into their mouths as, it, as if it's like an Ed Ed and Eddie cartoon or something. Even people who have uh, eating issues, I've never seen such ferocious eating in my life. Not even at a competitive eating contest, it's just manic. Garbling a duck. I try to back away from the table a little bit. And then someone next to me bangs the table and he says, No, stay! And I'm just like, okay, stay, you know. And then I see uh, there's a plate in front of me. So I just like take a fork and just like slice a meatball in half. And then just have half of that meatball. And I'm just like, hmm. Good, yeah, great. But they're still eating ferociously. And I'm just like, fuck, I don't know what to do. And then I see a window that's slightly open. It's a little bit high up, but I'm just like, I think I can make it. And eventually they start eating the plates given to me. And then it's only a short matter of time. When a lot of the plates on the table and the trays are already cleared up. And then one of them shouts, we're still hungry. And then they look at me. Knowing that I haven't eaten. And eventually they start to approach me and start to like dig their forks into me. I'm just like, shit, shit. So I sprint to the window. And I hop. And I just like climb out the window. They're tearing at my clothes, and I just, just barely get out of there. So outside the off bar, and I can still he hear them just shouting at me. So I just like sprint to my car, and I just like drive drive out of the parking lot, and then down the highway. Eventually, I like run out of breath from all the anxiety I'm feeling, and then I just like pull over, just taking taking breaths, taking stock of what I got, got what I escaped from. And then when my heart rate com calms down, I just kind of think, that was actually kind of hot. This final story is called The Cannibal Banana.
No, I don't want to do it. Jerome shouted as he stormed out of the bedroom. Arnold followed him. Come on, what's what's wrong? And Jerome just said, No, I don't I don't want to do this. I don't want to. And Arnold was just like, Well, you know, I thought it was something we could share together. And Jerome was just like, Yeah, we had to you should have brought it up to me first. And then Arnold said, Look, you know, you know, usually in our sexual relationship, we always, like, switch from top to bottom, you know? But, you know, when we agreed, like, you know, if someone's on top, they can bring whatever they want to the table. And I thought, you know, I thought it'd be good. And Jerome's just like, well, I don't care. I don't find bananas sexy. And I don't want anything to do with it in the bedroom. And Arnold just looked kind of upset. And was just like, alright, well, I'm sorry, you know? I thought it would be I thought it would be I thought it would be nice something that I've wanted to try for a while. And Jerome's just like, well you never talked about it before. And Arnold's like, yeah, I know, but you know, I just I don't know, I just wanted to sometimes I'm insecure about telling you what I'm into is all. And Jerome's just like, well, you, you don't have to feel that way. And then Arnold's just like, well, from the way you just reacted, you know, you can see why I was ambivalent about it. And Jerome was just like, look, I was only just, it was by the surprise of it, that was all. I didn't want you to bring that to the table and then just assume I'd be into it, you know. We gotta, like, talk about things, you know. When I want to bring something to the table, I always run it by you first, even before the sexy time starts. And Arnold's just like, yeah, yeah, you're right. I, you know, I am, I am, I am sorry, you know. I just thought it'd be nice. And Jerome was just like, well, maybe it's something we can try someday. But, I, you know, I just, I, you know, I'll, I'm willing to try it like once or twice for your sake because I want you to enjoy yourself. But, you know, I just, it's something I have to work up to and something that we have to discuss is all. We just have to communicate things about relationship. And I think that's, that's the key to it all, really, you know. Whether you're bottoming or topping, you know, it's all about communication. And that's what really makes the dynamic thrive. It's like, okay. I'll put the banana away. And Jerome was just like, yeah, I didn't even know we had any bananas in the house. And Arnold just said, well, I was I was hiding it, you know? I wanted it to be a surprise. And Jerome was just like, well, that's a fucking hell of a surprise, Arnold. And Arnold was just like, yeah, that I know. But you, you know what I mean. It was, it was the thought. I, and Jerome was just like, yeah, I get it. It's the thought that counts. I know. I, I know what you're trying to do. It's not what happened. But the fact that you tried for it to be something nice is something that I appreciate about you and about our relationship, you know. As long as we just, like, discuss these things, that's all I'm saying. But ultimately, I love you. I'm willing to try anything with you with the right amount of discretion and just building up to it and just being ready for it, you know. And Arnold was like, okay, that's... That sounds great, you know. Jerome was just like, yeah, so... I'm ready to get back in the bedroom and we can we can do other stuff, but just nothing banana related, please. And Arnold was just like, yeah, yeah. Sure, sure. So then Jerome heads back to the bedroom. Arnold takes the banana that they were gonna use for sexual play and then just puts it on the counter in the kitchen. Not really thinking too much of it.
so as the night progresses, they just, you know, they make passionate love through the night and incorporating their previously discussed kinks into, into their lovemaking. Feeling great, feeling really, really great about themselves. Really great about the relationship. Feeling like they could take on the world together and all that. So eventually, Arnold wakes up first and he goes to make coffee. But then he looks at the counter and notices that the banana is missing. He doesn't really think too much of it, and he's just like, so he just, all right, so he just makes coffee, you know. And then Jerome wakes up, you know, just in time for the coffee, by the time, just in time for the coffee to be ready. And then Arnold's just like, hey, Jerome, have you, have you, have you moved, moved the banana somewhere? And Jerome was just like, uh, no, I didn't know what you did with it after uh, I rejected it last night. And Arnold was just like, okay, just, I don't know where it is, just... I just left it on the counter, and, and Jerome was just like, well, maybe you actually put it somewhere else. Maybe you're mistaken. And Arnold was just like, no, no, because last night I didn't really know what to do with it, so I just put it on the counter, and I was just like, I'll deal with, the, deal with this later, and now the banana's gone, and I don't know what to do with it. And Jerome's just like, okay, okay, um, I mean, do you want to look for it? And Arnold's just like, well, uh, not really, but I feel like we should, you know. And Jerome's just like, okay, well, we can do that. We can look around for it. So after they have coffee and uh, some small breakfast, or part of part of a breakfast, they just walk around the house, you know, in the bedroom, in the kitchen, in the living room, trying to find this banana, but not really having any luck with it. Jerome's just like, yeah, I haven't seen the banana anywhere. And Arnold's just like, okay, but seriously though, we really have to find it. And Arnold's just like, yeah, well, I'm sure it'll show up. And again, if that's something that you really want to incorporate into a kink, we can always get a new banana, of course. And Arnold was just like, well, not quite. This is a, this is a special banana. Jerome was just like, oh, what do you mean by special banana? And Arnold was just like, well, you know, it's, you know, a lot of people, you know, incorporate bananas into sexual play in probably some obvious ways, some not so obvious. But this was a banana I ordered online, and I just, it's important to find it. And Jerome was just like, Arnold, well, what are you not telling me? We just had a conversation about this last night. You really got to be open with me about this stuff. And then Arnold was just like, okay, fine. Um, so, it is a special banana, but it's also it's also a cannibal banana. And Jerome was just like, what do you mean a cannibal banana? And Arnold was just like, well, oh, okay, so what happens is once the banana gets, like, ripe enough, 
it starts to, you know, starts to seek out flesh and starts to, like, want to eat things and get hungry, get protein and all that. So, you know, it's it can be pretty dangerous if it's too ripe, you know. And Jerome's just like, okay, well, why did you... Why did you want to bring that into the bedroom, you know? And Arnold was just like, well, it's just... So, like, what I read was when the banana is not ripe, when it's still, like, in its, like, relatively, like, semi-green stage, once it stops being green, then, like, that's when the banana starts to become cannibalistic. But not enough to be dangerous for a mammal of our size. So it ends up, if you unpeel it, it'll start to provoke a certain like sucking motion and I thought that really would have been great you know for us and then Jerome's just like Jesus Christ Arnold and Arnold's just like well you know I thought it, I thought it would have been I thought it would be really cool a really like innovative uh sexual play for us you know but the reason why we have to find this is because if the banana ripens too much then it's gonna become dangerous for animals and it's gonna, it might come after us if it's too ripe and too hungry. And Jerome's just like, Arnold, that's, that's so fucked up. That whole thing about us communicating, about kinks and stuff, you know, that really should have come up last night. And Arnold's just like, yeah, I know, I'm, I'm sorry, you know, I just didn't think of it, you know, I was kind of, you know, I just wanted just like to, you know, I just, I wanted to be open, but it's just, yeah, I wasn't open enough, but look, we gotta find this banana, you know. And Jerome's just like, yeah, obviously. All right, let's look for the banana. So Arnold and Jerome, they keep looking for the banana, and they don't know where it is. And Jerome's just like, hey, you know, if it's just a banana, how can it walk? Can it move? Is it mobile? And then Arnold's just like, I, I, I don't know. I didn't really research it as much, much as I should. I just knew the time frame for it when it wasn't dangerous and just pleasurable. But I feel like that time from his past, so we just gotta find this thing. And Jerome's just like, okay, fine. So they keep looking. And eventually they go in the attic. Yeah, Arnold goes in first, and he's just like, oh my god. And the Jerome's just like, what, what is it? And Arnold's just like, it's a bunch of uh, rat skeletons in the attic. And Jerome's just like, so, so did, it, did the banana get them? And Arnold was just like, yes, probably. But also the thing is now, now the banana has a taste for human flesh or flesh, period. And they might be coming after us at some point. So we should probably leave the house. And Jerome's just like, Arnold, come on. And then Jerome's just like, how about this? How about I call an exterminator? And Arnold's just like, uh, this is a very, uh, this is a very stealthy banana. I don't think that's a good idea. And Jerome's like, well, all of your ideas so far has been, have been terrible. So I'm just going to call the exterminator. He'll come over. We'll just say it's a banana. And I'm sure they'll be like, oh, we know how to deal with that. Because you're, you're probably not the first person who thought ordering this banana would be sexy and then having it go horribly wrong. So I'm just going to call the exterminator and try to, like, get him to settle it. And Arnold's just like, okay, fine, fine. So Jerome calls as a foreman of an, and says it's an emergency, so the exterminator comes right, right away. 
And he's just like, huh, oh, so it's a cannibal banana? And Jerome's just like, yes, it's a cannibal banana in our house. Can, can you help us out? And the exterminator's just like, yeah, yeah, I can take care of it pretty easily, you know? Just gotta... So do you know where it is in the house? And Jerome's just like, no. He looks in our old... And Arnold's just like, I don't, I don't know, I don't know. And the exterminator says, alright, well, if the cannibal banana hasn't had any flesh yet, it's probably not really dangerous yet, so I think we're... It should be an easy grab. And then Arnold says, well, actually, the banana got some rats already. I don't know what else. And the exterminator said, okay, well, that's something you should have told me on the phone. Um, yeah, so this banana is very dangerous. It can lunge at you. It's like a very dangerous predator, so we gotta... We might as well be wearing, like, hazmat uniforms, so... But, because the banana... The banana can, like, spit acid and can just, like, melt clothes easily. And, like, one bite and you're fucked, so just... Yeah, this is, this is a pretty big deal. Um, I'm gonna try to call some other people, some other guys to, you know, just to help out. And Jerome's just like, yeah, do, do whatever you gotta do, as long as this thing's out of the house. So eventually the exterminator calls uh, three other colleagues uh, from different companies. It's just like, alright, we gotta we gotta take care of this banana. So they go looking around the house, looking outside in the yard, in different rooms, trying to knock on walls to get the banana. Eventually they uh behind the bathroom wall they can hear rustling there. And then the exterminator exterminator that hears it says, oh shit, I think I hear the banana. So he's trying to follow the sound. And eventually he finds a hole behind the toilet where the banana has been going in and out of. And the exterminator says, okay, I'm gonna shoot some gas into this hole. Hopefully it'll, hopefully it'll disarm the banana long enough for us to catch it. Or at least uh, poison it or something. So the exterminator shoots poison gas into the hole. And then they hear just like a loud rustling and a rumbling from the wall. And it goes higher and higher up. And the other exterminators and Jerome and Arnold are in the area. And they're just like, oh, do you see the banana? And they're just like, yeah, it's in the wall. It's crawling around. And they can hear it in the wall and then in the ceiling. And then they could hear a sizzling sound coming from the ceiling, and they can see a piece of the ceiling slowly disintegrate. And then suddenly that piece of the ceiling breaks apart, and the banana lunges out and lands on Arnold. So he screams and runs around and freaks out. He's like, oh my god, oh my god. And he just like feels the burn of the acid, you know, on his clothes. And eventually one of the exterminators grabs the banana from behind, and then just kind of snuffs it out. And then the banana dies. Dies in a way a cannibal banana does. He just tears it apart into pieces. It's just a banana, but it's just you can't let it get you. That's how the cannibal banana works. And then Arnold's just like taking a breath. 
his golf shirt is kind of disintegrated. It's kind of really torn up. And there's a bit of burns on his chest, but they're only... They're not causing him to bleed or, like, break, break skin. It just really stings. And then Jerome's just like, oh my god, Arnold, are you alright? And Arnold's just like, um... Yeah, I'm just really freaked out, but yeah, like, ultimately, physically, I feel really alright. And then Jerome's alright. Jerome says, alright, that's good. I'm glad you're alive. I'm glad you're safe. But, um... You need to, like, spend the weekend at someone else's house, uh, because I gotta think about some stuff. Well, that was Quarantine Spook Show. I'm Kyle Carezzi. Good night.